This is the Mobile Tech Podcast, brought to you by worldpodcasts.com. Now here's your host, Tank Girl, Miriam Jouar. Hi, and welcome to the Mobile Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Miriam Jouar, and today is August 21st, 2019, and my guest is Steve Litchfield. Hi, Steve. How are you? Hi there, from a very, very hot and sweltering UK. It is. Um, of course, I want to give everybody a quick heads up that this is pre-recorded because I'm currently at my job at Burning Man in the desert in Nevada. So uh, some of the information on this show might be more up to date by the time you hear it, but that's okay. You know, we uh, wanted to give you something to chew on. And Steve and I are huge camera phone enthusiasts, mobile photography enthusiasts. And we've covered this for a really long time. In fact, I have to credit Steve for getting me you know, into blogging and journalism in a way, because Ah. he was a role model, number one. And number two, you were uh, the guy who introduced me to Nokia World uh, Word of Mouth. Remember? Yes, yes, yes. The blog uh, blogging network where they uh, they basically reached out to bloggers, writers and and people who weren't mainstream media, mainstream newspapers and basically provided um, support and devices. And it was all rather wonderful about 10 years ago. Yeah, it's about a decade ago. And you got me hooked up. You introduced me to them and said, hey, Tank Girl's doing some cool stuff. Send her some phones. And <laughs> so thanks to Steve, his generosity, I'm here today. So I want to acknowledge that because I know I've had you on the show a few times now. But I don't think people understand how critical you are to my development as a journalist or tech person or whatever you want to call it. Well, that's very kind. Very kind. Absolutely. So what I want to do today, as you know, and this is more for our audience, is I want to go over the state of photography in summer 2019 versus last time we talked was just a little before this time of year last year about the P20 Pro from Huawei, which seemed to which was new and, and seemed to redefine where imaging was going. And since then, we've had a number of significant imaging products, uh, significant sometimes in good ways, sometimes in bad ways. And I want to kind of go over at least the ones that are advancing things or trying to advance things and, you know, get your feel for what you think and perhaps where we're headed from here. Yeah, yeah. I must put a few disclaimers up front, actually. One is that because it's very hot, I've got all the windows open. If you do hear planes going overhead, etc., do please forgive me. Uh, The second one is that due to time, family and other commitments, uh, supporting wife and daughter in their careers... Um, and also my ageing dad on the other side of the country, it means I haven't had a full-time career doing this. So although I'm up to date with hopefully all the things you're going to talk about, and I've got some exciting devices, as you have in front of me, I I don't live and breathe this stuff seven days a week like I used to. So just do (laughs) bear with me there. No problem. But you know what? The most important thing is you have an opinion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's (laughs) well-formed because of your experience and your history with these devices. And so that's kind of what I want to talk about. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to let you pick the first device. It doesn't have to be chronological here, but I'm going to let you pick the first device, the one you really want to talk about that's got you the most excited for imaging in the last year. Okay, well, I I will leave the Nokia 9 PureView just for a moment. I do want to talk to you about that, but let's leave that just off to one side because I know you talked about it on your last podcast. It is a big can of worms, so let's do that. (laughs) What I wanted to talk about, and you mentioned it in your show notes, is these devices coming out all over the place with this Sony IMX586 sensor, the 48 megapixel sensor. Now, there's a whole bunch of them. The OnePlus 7 Pro's got one. We had the, I've got the Motorola One Vision here that has it, even though it's a budget phone. There's the Oppo Reno. You mentioned the K20 Pro, a Mi 9T. There's a whole bunch of them. This, this sensor is a cropping up everywhere. I know you it's and I remember. It's on Honor's new phones as well, yeah. the, the Honor yeah. 20 Pro and the Honor View 20. I mean, it's everywhere. Yeah, so you and I remember when Nokia announced the first 41 megapixel sensor, 2012, I think it was, the Nokia 808. And we thought, Mm -hmm. this is just insane. And to be fair, Nokia then used it really cleverly in that and the Lumia 1020, pure view oversampling. So you've got incredibly pure uh, images plus decent lossless zoom. But technology has moved on, and I accept that. And we're going to talk about some amazing imaging devices. But the curious thing is these IMX586 devices, 48 megapixel sensors, um, being pixel binned effectively down to 12 megapixel with the idea that each of those 12 megapixels is, quote, purer and clearer uh, and more defined because of that pixel binning process. And what, but however, what the question I have for you is that does Sony supply this unit, this sensor 
as as a complete cube with the optics as a unit? Or do they, are they literally just providing the sensors? Because what I'm seeing on all of these devices across the board, anything with the sensor, it's okay. It's better than what we had before, but it does not challenge the flagship, does not challenge the best imaging devices in the world by a long margin. I would agree with you. I think they do provide the sensor only because there are so many different optical um, apertures available on various phones on this. I've seen everything from f1.5 to 1.8 on the sensor. And I've seen some with OIS and I've seen some without OIS. Further, there is a variant of the um, IMX586 called the IMX582. And it's on paper almost identical. The only spec that's different is it cannot record 4K video at 60 frames per second. It tops off at 30, but the uh, 586 does 60 frames per second 4K video. So that seems to be more of an ISP thing yeah. to me, but maybe it's a bandwidth to the sensor in terms of uh, uh, data transfer and you know uh, yeah. m- memory addressing or whatever. Um, and and it's a little cheaper because you tend to find the 582 on phones like the the Mi 9T, which is a $350 phone. Yeah. Um, yeah. Whereas the 586 is on the generally those slightly more pricey phones like the you know OnePlus 7 Pro. I mean, you know, relatively speaking, there are some uh, phones in the $450, $500 range that have the 586, like the yeah. Asus Zenfone 6, like the uh, Nubia Red Magic 3. So <laughs> it is everywhere. Um, but you're right. It's just the sensor and the algorithms, are, as you know, is what makes all the difference, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I th- what the point I wanted to make is that this Sony IMX five X six sensor um, is not a be all and end all. This will make even budget phones have great cameras because it just doesn't work like that. Something I mentioned on the last time I was on, maybe the time before, um, is that that the whole imaging chain from the f- the accuracy of focusing to the aperture used to the quality of the optics, which is a big, big factor, I think is often underestimated, to the use of OIS, to the sensor, to the, the particular Bayer filter alternative used, as in the recent uh, P30 Pro, multiple exposures, how they're managed, image processing to tweak white balance, reduce noise, sharpen details, and then how you save the JPEG with the manufacturer set quality setting. And they've all, across the board, got to be top-notch to produce great output. Even one missing link and the result can be rubbish. And I suspect that a couple of links are broken in many of these phones. Just because it's got this 48 megapixel sensor does not mean automatically you get absolute flagship imaging performance. And I think that's a very good point, and I'm glad you're making it. I wanted to talk about that. But I also want to talk about the fact that at the same time, this sensor does two things. It does up the bar, generally speaking. It, I think it makes it easier for manufacturers to make uh, sensors that work better in low light because yeah, of yeah, the pixel yeah. binning. Um, and I, I think in general, I'm seeing overall decent to good results with this sensor, regardless of software implementation. I'm never seeing rubbish results. Um, and so, and even on phones that you know don't, don't have an ISP with the processing, uh, not power, but the the, co- the the algorithmic experience running on yeah. those ISPs. For example, the Nubia phones. I really doubt that ZTE, the parent company of Nubia, knows how to make a carrier phone to save their lives. And so they're probably running whatever default stack there is for from Sony for that sensor. And even then, even at an F over 1.8 without OIS, that sensor takes extremely pleasant photos in yeah. every condition um, compared to, say, a dumb 12 megapixel sensor you typically find in a phone like that. Yeah, absolutely. So this sensor is raising the bar at the bottom end. I completely agree. However, my contention is that it gets us to a certain point, but beyond that, you've got to look for more magic. And that's where we go to the you know Nokia 9s, maybe, the P30 Pros, the Pixel 3, Pixel 4, that kind of, which is I think is in a different league. Oh, absolutely. I agree with you. But there is a potential, like One OnePlus, for example, that has become very good at imaging. I think they're, the OnePlus 7 and 7 Pro are surprisingly good. I would rate them, especially now that they've had several software updates, um, on par with a Galaxy S10 in terms ah, of imaging performance. But did you see the crops I shared with you earlier via Dropbox? example i did not have a chance to look at them no (laughs) (laughs) what i was doing was i was taking reference photographs with my old lumia 950 it's it's an old phone now but it's it's a a good solid reference it is absolutely and and the the lumia software doesn't over sharpen and um over enhance things so it's a good it produces good natural photographs and i took the same photographs in some in good light and some in middling light with that and the oneplus 7 pro and when you look at down at the pixel level the oneplus 7 pro is very disappointing is it? 
Yeah, if I look the... at the photos coming out of the OnePlus 7 Pro versus what the Galaxy S10 produces, and without pixel peeping, just looking overall at, on a computer screen, I feel that there is so little difference that I don't understand why you'd pay more for the Galaxy S10. And I mean, it's not just about the camera, right? There's all the other stuff about the OnePlus 7 Pro. You know, there are some things that are good, something that are bad, lack of headphone jack, lack of wireless charging. But then you got, a, I think, a, you know, 90 hertz display, that, that fluidity yeah, yeah. of the UI, the, the, the speed of the software. I mean, it's really, we're not talking about that today. We're just talking about imaging. I agree with you when you start pixel peeping that very few phones come close to some other, to some of our classics, the ones that yeah. we consider to yeah. be references, even today. However, when you look at how fast they focus, how fast they take a photo, right? Yeah, yeah. That's, I mean, that's, that's what people want. People, you know, ultimately, you know, I like to be creative in my camera and this is, you know, this probably will take us to the P30 very soon because I yeah. think it's the most creative camera phone available today, the Pro. Um, yeah. I feel that I want to, I want, in some cases, I want to just smash the camera and get a photo. You know, I was, I was, uh, you know, meeting somebody today and doing some paperwork and I needed to take a photo of the paperwork we were signing and, and I couldn't, you know, be there and make sure it was going to take the good picture. I pulled out my Pixel 3, I took the photo, done. And I know it's good. I didn't have to look at it. But, but at the same time, I can't, you know, I don't have multiple lenses on Pixel 3. I can't, I can't do things like the, the kind of creativity I have on yeah. many other phones, including some of those cheap ones like the Mi 9T and the K20 Pro, which have three lenses and cost 350, 400 US dollars. Um, and... What they and they by the way those are IMX five eight two phones not five eight six but it's the same sensor other than the frame rate at four K, um, and the results again are pretty impressive when you consider what another three hundred fifty to four hundred dollar phone can do, yeah. uh, and the versatility of those three lenses. So I'm with you hundred percent. I feel that if you start comparing, we there was a time when. I mean, I would go as well, as far back as like the N95 even. Yeah. Like I've taken photos of the N95 that today feel better to me than, and I think maybe it's the, the low resolution, the five megapixel, the noise, the natural noise in the, show, in the shot. It just feels like grain. It feels like film. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Yeah, I've had, I'd even go back another generation to the Nokia N93. I don't know whether you had the N93 over in America, but the one with the crazy swiveling camcorder form I did. factor. Uh, we did yeah. have it briefly, and I do, have a, I do have a unit somewhere. Yeah, but that had really high image quality for its 3 megapixel output. Now, 3 megapixel sounds appalling in 2019, but that took great photographs. And it was a genuine telescopic three-time zoom that you could crank in and out. Uh, and it's not just you know going from one times to three times with a tap. It was you could mm -hmm. wind it in and out, and that's why it had this huge barrel. But but we digress. We digress. The the reality is that um, let's let's maybe talk about what you feel pixel peeping is the best and the closest yeah. to or even surpasses what your references are, like the you know the Lumia ten twenty and the the PureView eight hundred eight and the yeah. and the uh, and the nine fifty the Lumia nine fifty. Um, which which you consider today to be your reference, the 950, right? Yes, the 950, although the 1020, every time I take it out, I take some cracking photographs. And not just, you know, take every, every phone these days takes what looks like a cracking photograph on the phone screen and on the, your computer display. But the point about look, pixel peeping is, is partly to see what's going on down at the physics level, you know, in terms of the image processing and what the sensor's producing. Partly it's so that in a real-world situation, you can take a 12-megapixel photograph later on and think, well, I don't like that that particular person. He wasn't smiling. I, and I've got this other photo person who I, I hardly ever see. I'm going to crop in on them and produce a really nice portrait. And you can do that if you've got enough purity, if you've got enough detail, genuine detail down at the pixel level. You can crop that 12-megapixel image down to 3-megapixel and get a really good photograph and that's what i love my benchmark still is probably the 1020 and the 950 and just because nokia did imaging right having said that the focusing is so slow on some of these devices and i completely understand about flexibility if i want to take photographs today i go to, usually to my samsung galaxy s9 plus or to the huawei p30 pro or to my pixel 3xl all android phones and the pixel probably gets closest on an, a one-to-one -one level if you just take any photograph, any lighting conditions, the pixel gets closest in terms of trying to preserve some of that natural detail without smearing everything with noise reduction. 
Um, the P30 Pro, it has been dialing that back, but it still does enhance things a bit too much. But the P30 Pro makes up for it and these other well-celebrated ways where you can do 15 times the car hybrid zoom and you can do lovely wide angle. So it really depends what you want to take photographs of, what you want to do with them later as to which way you go. But I think the Pixel for me is as close as you can get in terms of just a shot pixel for pixel with the old Lumias. Oh, that's interesting. I'm kind of amazed that that's how you feel about that. But at the same time, not surprised, frankly. It's down to the oversampling. If you think about it, um, the pure view, the old Nokia ones, they did pure view oversampling in the physical realm. They took a large sensor and then combined groups of five or six um, pixels across the sensor down to one. Now, the, the Google Pixel Google camera, which has been much ported to many other devices, but for this very reason, they do pure view exactly the same, pure view oversampling, but in the time domain. So rather than take a physical sensor, they take, as you know, up to 10 exposures of the same scene, and then they, they combine them in software in the time domain down to one photograph. So the Pixel is really doing very similar things to what the old classic Nokia Lumis used to do, except that it's doing it in a different domain. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. It does make sense. And that's why um, it's so pure. And honestly feel the same about you about it. To me, it's, it is, um, I hate to say this, but if I had to pick a single camera today, it would be my Pixel 3 XL or Pixel 3 or even, even maybe a Pixel 3a. And I am I'm, I'm saying I hate to say this because, <laughs> not because I hate these phones, that they're fine. It's just that I have so much more control, versatility, and creative juices flowing when I use my P30 Pro or my yeah, Mate yeah, 20 Pro prior yeah. to that or my P20 Pro prior to that. I really feel that Huawei is kind of like the winner in terms of flexibility and what I can do when I apply myself. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. Agreed. And of course, I've said this on several other podcasts, but Eril Selmalin, one of the co-creators of that Nokia PureView system, he is the imaging uh, head of imaging at Huawei, has been for several years. And so basically, in many ways, the P30 Pro is what those Lumias might have gone become if they were developed year on year on year. And yes, the P30 Pro is amazingly flexible. And some of the zoom shots I've taken, I did one I posted on social media of a, an aircraft coming into land. I'm about uh, five or 10 miles away from Heathrow Airport in the UK. And it was coming in, it was probably at about a thousand feet. And I, I took a, a wide shot to show where it was in the sky, i.e. a dot, basically. And then I took a, I think it was a 30 something time zoom shot. And, and it was Maybe it was my st still steady hands, but it came out beautifully. You could see the markings, which airline, the glinting of the sun on the wings. And this was when it was basically almost a dot in the sky. It's just unbelievable. If you get things right with the P30 Pro, you can do things that you can't do with any other camera phone on the market, including my classic Lumias. The, the, this P30 Pro is effectively what they became in 2019. You know, it's remarkable. I, I cannot explain to you, the audience, the listeners here, how mind-blowing and life-changing it is to use this phone for photography um at the same time i probably you could probably relate better as an audience to the the pixel 3 because i know many of you many more of you have pixel 2s and pixel 3s than uh than 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 huawei phones even the older huawei phones that are pretty damn great still today like the p20 pro and the mate 20 pro yeah. um but but you, you know how great the Pixel is, and I don't want to take that away from you. If you have one, you know, continue. Continue to enjoy yourself with it. But, you know, the lack of manual controls in, 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 in the camera app from Google are pain point for me. And, the, and once you have lived with, I would, I, I would argue that the tele is nice, but I, I don't need it. What I really want is the ultra-wide. And some phones, like the LG phones, only have the ultra-wide, and I... If if you have gonna have two lenses, have an ultra wide and a and a normal wide, and then but but with three lenses with a telephoto on top of that, that's so incredible what you can do, and and I'm a little torn with the P30 Pro versus the Mate 20 Pro and the P20 Pro, that um, I'm not sure I want this much optical zoom by default. It's five times, right? Five to five times, yeah, on the P30 Pro, and yeah. it's, it used to be three times, and so. Yeah. Sometimes I feel like going back to my, honestly, the Mate 20 Pro, I have probably the biggest and best collection of uh, photos that I'm happy with of any of my Huawei phones come from the Mate 20 Pro. I think it's because I spent more time with it than the others. But the P20 Pro, I felt was, was better at low light, 
then the Mate 20 Pro, but then the Mate 20 Pro had that that incredible they're adding the white the wide angle over the monochrome. Yeah. I'm sad I lost the monochrome, but that ultra wide was was what made the Mate 20 Pro. And then the P30 Pro, I think beats the Mate 20 Pro, but I'm not always sure that I want the Tele to be a 5X. I, I sometimes want to downgrade to the P30, which has a 3X Tele, simply for yeah. the Tele being less. And it's hard to explain this to you, but there is that yeah. in-between area where between two times and five times zoom, you are not getting as good as a photo, honestly, to me as the P30, which I think is superior, by the way, to the Mate 20 Pro or the Mate 20 Pro. A lot of people ask me, if I can't afford the P30 Pro, should I buy a Mate 20 Pro? And I'm like, well, if you're talking on imaging, I think you should buy a P30 because it's better overall to me than the Mate 20 Pro simply because it has that uh, that weird, uh, uh, you know, yellow sensor, right? Yeah. RYYB. Yeah. It's the green that's gone. Yeah. So, so uh, it doesn't have OIS. It doesn't have as fast of a lens on the main lens, but it does give you the same 3X uh, sensor and lens as the Mate 20 Pro. It gives you the same wide angle. And yeah. overall, the main sensor, I think, is slightly better. Um, but anyway, I mean, you know, you can't go wrong. I, I don't think you should go as back as the P20 Pro anymore, unless you really love that monochrome. Um, yeah. But if you want the, the true versatility, I'd say Mate 20 Pro or P30. And then if you can afford it, P30 Pro. Yeah, I did. It's interesting you're talking about um, zoom levels there. I did a whole article on this last week on AWP talking exp expressly about the fact, what do you do when you want to get crop in, you know, zoom in on some feature, some person. But you, if you go to five times, which is the on-screen preset on the P30 Pro, you're too far zoomed in. You're basically looking at their nose hairs and that's too far. So quite often in real world situations, you actually want two times or three times zoom. And the P30 Pro doesn't do badly there, but a phone like the Galaxy S S series or the other the P series devices with the three times zoom, they will do a better job and you can go straight to three times and get a better photograph. But it, I think for someone who gets the P30 Pro, they buy it because they want something incredibly flexible. They know what they're buying. They, they know the telephoto is five times and they work within that limitation. So they either go to five times or they stay clear of, you know, three to 3.5, four times because they know it'll be slightly artifacty. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what is your take on things that Google could, could get better. If you had to spec the Pixel 4 and <laughs> knowing what Google's doing today with the Pixel 3, what would you want? Well, I, I have seen some of the leaks, but I'm not sure I believe all of them. I, I'm still unsure as to whether the Pixel 4 will have two cameras or three cameras. Um, I'd say I, everybody, everybody's unsure. Yeah. I, I think they, they will go down the telephoto route. I think they'll just put a two times in with all their software magic to make it utterly seamless. And given that the, the super high-res zoom, which is not brilliant, but it does a an okay job, sort of up to 1.5 times, two times, given that that's already pretty good software, if you apply that to a genuine telephoto two times with OIS, then you can get genuinely good, lossless, usable zoom up to about four times. And, and if they make the regular lens just a tiny bit wider, then maybe they might even start to satisfy people who wanted a wide angle. But it depends how wide they go, doesn't it, on to, in terms of their main lens. Exactly. And so my spec, so if, if they have two lenses, this is what I want. I okay. want a slightly wider main camera with an IMX586 running Google software. Yeah. And I want a two times tele with the fastest opticals, optics they can do. So maybe f over 2.2 or 2.0. Like yeah. I know most zooms are 2.4, but I want faster than that. Using, say, the sensor that they use today, uh, which is a 1.4 micron sensor, I believe, yeah. in pixel yeah. size. NOIS on both. That's what I want. Um, or, you know, if they don't go tele, then give us uh, maybe a slightly narrower, less wide main with the IMX586 and OIS, and then give us a ultra-wide with the same 12 megapixel sensor you have today. Uh, and we don't need OIS on that. Um, and and that's kind of what I want. Now, if they give us three lenses, oh my God, you know, I'd say make the main <laughs> one, make the main one a 48 megapixel IMX586 because you're going to get some pixel bending and improvements that uh, in addition to, you know, I, I can only imagine what Google can do with that sensor is what I'm saying. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. then, and then use the 12 megapixel you already know and love on the other two. Right. Uh, but I, I, 
I hope that if they do a tele that they go for the fastest f-stop they can. And and typically, I'm worried that's not going to happen because if you look, the Pixel today is only f of 1.8. There are many phones down to 1.4 now, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, at least one. Yeah, f- 1.5 is very common now. Yeah, and 1.5 Google, yes, is Go- common. Yeah, Google does seem to be behind, just behind the cutting edge, yeah. P30 Pro is what, 1.6? 1.4? Can't don't remember. Know. I have to look. Yeah. See, yeah. we don't care anymore because it's... <laughs> It's a wash when you have, I mean, I do care. I'm just saying like the, when you have sensors like that RYYB sensor that, that is really unique to the P30 series right now, yeah, yeah. Um, you start not worrying about low, low, low light anymore. What you start worrying about is color balance and color temperature though, right? Have you noticed yeah. how they've had some struggles with that? Yes, yes. It wasn't particularly good at the start, but my P30 Pro is now on the 178 firmware and it's, it's really very, very good with color balance. When you switch cameras, you can get some slightly jarring transitions in the viewfinder. But that's true you- of almost every single one of these now, you know, not, not just Huawei, but it was particularly pronounced in the early days of P30. Yeah, but that will get better, and that is just software. And I think what we what was started in 2012 with the Perfuview thing was the dawn of computational photography. And what we're seeing now is the fact that, yes, you need good hardware, but you also need great software merging it all together and, and combining different cameras. Uh, for example, on the P30 Pro, I, I, this is something I think I chatted about uh, with you maybe at the time by text or email. Uh, when they're zooming it, say, four times, why on earth don't they use the, the some of the data from the telephoto for the center of the image and then fill in around it with data from the pixel bin 40, 40, 40 megapixel image. Why, why don't they combine the data from two sensors? I don't know. It could be an ISP limitation that will be fixed with more compute power thrown at it. Okay. I think that's what it is right now. I mean, you know, I think it's hard to combine um, partial data from multiple sensors. I think it's easier to combine, you know, like the chroma from one sensor with the luma from another and stuff like that, but it's harder when you start like cropping parts off and reassembling it. Then you have geometry issues and fit issues. It's difficult. I was trying to lead you in gently there to talking about multiple sensors and combining data into talking about the Nokia 9 PureView, if you'll accept that link. If you must talk about the <laughs> Nokia PureView, <laughs> then we shall. No, I'm just, I'm being overly dramatic. Um, obviously for effect. Uh, I Look, I finally got one two weeks ago. And I don't want to talk about the phone as a phone because as a phone, it's fine. Yeah, yeah. The only thing that's a showstopper for me and, and forget the pure view camera for a second. I'm assuming this is a normal flagship grade camera, like an IMX 586 or some 12 megapixel sensor with that. I like it. Say it was like a Nokia 8.1 in terms of camera. Yeah, yeah. I would say do not buy that phone simply because the processor is one year old and because the fingerprint in-display sensor is the worst of any fingerprint in-display fingerprint sensor I've ever used. And I've used a lot of them, including <laughs> some first-gen one. I don't know what Nokia did here, but it's unusable. It, it's it, one out of 10 times it'll work. And at this point, I'm not using it anymore. I'm typing in a code and using yeah. my face for unlock. Yeah. Um, so that's what you need to know about the phone. Other than that, the phone is fine. I have no issues with it. Uh, it's a lot outdated in terms of specs, but it's fine. But the camera, oh my goodness, what a can of worms that camera is. In theory, now, in theory, five lenses all putting in their data into one bin. So you've got uh, three monochrome, two color sensors, all 12 megapixel, no, each, uh, yeah, nine megapixel and 16 by nine, all one over 2.9 inches. So they're not fabulous sensors, but they're good enough. But in theory, if you took the data from all five sensors, each separated by about an inch or so in terms of parallax, you have got so much 3D information. You've got so much light information. You've got so much gathering of data that you could do incredible things, including zooming. And my biggest frustration in looking at all my Nokia 9 shots is that Nokia are only actually doing about 10% of what they could do with all that data. And it still takes them 10 or 15 seconds per image to spit out a JPEG, which I just do not understand. Maybe if they did everything I want to do with all that data, they would take one and a half minutes per image and then users really would rebel. But um, it's just a frustrating that it, it's so capable that the, the theory, the, the, it could do so much. And in practice, it does so little. My biggest gripe with the Nokia 9 after two weeks, and I don't have the mileage you have, Steve, because I know you've had your Nokia 9 for way longer than me. But I have to admit, I came into this biased because it's hard to not be biased. We, you know, a lot of people want 
us reviewers to be objective. I've always been very clear as a tech journalist, I'm not an objective person. I have my biases, I have my favorites, <laughs> I have my, my yeah. preconceived ideas, I am opinionated, I like certain things, sometimes it's not rational, sometimes I can't prove that it's physically better, you know, and I don't care. Um, that's who I am, that's what it is. So I came into this knowing that a lot of people had issues and I knew that it wasn't gonna be great and that it, there were some flaws and I knew what the flaws were, but I needed to try it. I needed to experience it to be able to really quantify and make a more, less subjective opinion, a more objective opinion. Because even though I'm not an objective person, I try to be, you know? And I am, ex I, I will say this now, and I know this is going to hurt a lot of people. I am extremely disappointed with the entire camera experience, number one. But more importantly, forget the fact that it's slow and it doesn't really have that many great features, as you said that could be done in computational photography with the kind of sensor setup they have, the image quality is not good. It is not good. That is my problem. And I'm not pixel peeping here. I'm just saying, when I take a photo, I systematically have to process it in Google Photos or Snapseed or Lightroom or something, whether it's the DNG or the JPEG itself, I have to tweak it. I cannot use these photos. They're all underexposed to death. They have pretty decent dynamic range, especially when you tweak the raw settings. But I don't see this. I, I see this as a prototype, half-baked prototype. It's, it's worse than a Moto G7 that costs $300. It's, it's <laughs> terrible out of the box. That's an excellent way of putting it to say that it's a prototype hardware because they, they, they admitted it's a limited edition hardware and they're not only making so many of them. And yes, it does feel, it feels like a finished phone. It was polished in the hand, but the, the imaging setup feels like something that's still in the labs and they're still working on the software. And it ultimately it does come down to software because although those sensors say aren't fabulous, they're good enough if the software was good enough and if there was enough imaging horsepower to do incredible things with all that data. Uh, they just, just they just haven't had the development time and the development resources to finish the software in my opinion i could look past the i could look past the image quality issues if uh, sorry no let me rewind i could look past the slow processing of images i could look past the fact that the feature set is not that exciting considering what we're doing here i could go look past the fact that the back glass covers the entire back of the phone including the lenses and it's super scratch prone and Compared to like a sapphire cover on the lens, like you see on a lot of phones that have a separate piece of glass to cover the lenses. Yeah. I could go get past all that if the images that came out were at least close to even the first generation pixel or, or a Galaxy S9 from last year or, or something like that. But they are not. And it's not that they can't be tweaked to be good. Some of them can. Although a good chunk of them, I cannot tweak them to be good. I've tried and I'm still disappointed with the end result. And then the other half I've tweaked and I'm very happy with the result. I have to say the dynamic range is pretty damn great in many, many photos. But is it better than a 950? Is it better than an 808 PureView? No. Is it better than what the P30 does? Or the Pixel 3? No way. And that's what really bothers me. It's like a phone today, I, can, I mean, if I take my Mi 9T, which is also my second most recent phone that I received to play with, um, the Mi 9T is a 350 US dollar. It's not officially sold in the US, but that's the price if you buy gray market. $350 phone with, get this, it's insane. It has a an, an full OLED, no-notch no display, 1080p, that's gorgeous six point something inch. It's a big phone. It has three cameras in the back. The main sensor is IMX582, which is a 586 derivative. It's got an ultra wide and a tele. None of them have OIS. It has a Snapdragon 730, which is a brand new chip from just below the 800 series. It has six gigs of RAM, lots of storage, a headphone jack. Uh, it's glass and metal. It's insane the spec list or oh, pop-up selfie camera, motorized. It's insane what the specs are for what you get. If I put them side by side and take a, the same photo with the Nokia 9 versus the Mi 90, the Mi 90 systematically obliterates the Nokia 9 in performance in the photo result. At least if you just look at it on a laptop. Now, if you start pixel peeping and you edit the photo on the Nokia 9, I bet you the Nokia 9 will beat it. But I cannot fathom how that is possible. Steve.
Yeah, yeah. I, if they have failed it, us. If you think about it in terms of software development development hours, let's imagine, for sake of argument, that 10,000 software man hours would fix a lot of this in terms of uh, writing decent camera algorithms. I think that instead of getting to 10,000, they've put in something like 300. And they probably think, Nokia, HMD, probably think that 300 man hours is enough to fix the most common complaints, like appalling, utterly appalling low light performance when it first came out. And they have fixed that, but that's the only thing they fixed. And just as a way of um, emphasising what you just said, um, for a start, I wrote an article. This, this is again on AWP, so forgive the, the, the focus on Lumias, but the, the, the all classic about devices. Windows Phone, by the way. That's just so you know if you're listening, you don't know what AWP <laughs> means. All about Windows Phone. Yeah, I thought I'd let's, let's pitch PureView against PureView. They're, they're pitching the Nokia 9 as a quote PureView device, so let's pitch it against other PureView devices Lumia 1020, Lumia 950, Nokia 808 in the mix. I've got a complete four way comparison, loads of test shots, my user stuff. The, the Lumia 1020 ran away with it. The 950, a bit behind. The 808 was quite a bit behind because, of course, there's no OIS, so it failed really on, in the low-light tests. The Nokia 9, the most recent device by a country mile, was miles in fourth place. And this was purely objective, looking at photographs, looking at the pixels, looking at what's coming out of the phone. And I just that is completely unacceptable. It just didn't even deserve the PureView branding. And to emphasize what you're saying about other competing devices, I mentioned the Motorola One Vision. It's an Android One phone. It's £270 in the UK with that Sony sensor and with OIS. And with it's a really, really nice form factor in the hand. Lovely phone, £270. And it would completely, as you said again, would completely obliterate the Nokia 9, which costs three times the amount almost. Yeah. And I... I... You know, I'm not, as you said, we're not saying, both of us are not saying here that the Sony IMX586 is God's given gift to image photo, <laughs> low price yeah. photo imaging, uh, mobile imaging, but God damn it, is it good for what it is. And, and I mean, this is what I'm saying. The Mi 9T is that sensor. And, and I'm like, yesterday I was out with a friend um, in, in a small town outside of Portland, in a very picturesque little old, you know, Western town. And I was taking photos and I wanted to throw the Monokia 9 in the river. It was so bad. I was like, <laughs> how? You're taking photos that were, feel worse than the original iPhone here. Like, what is going on? And it's not the 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 detail. It's it's like the exposure is the biggest issue. It's just I cannot believe it's over overexposing, underexposing. It yeah. you know I, I'm a, I'm used to that with the uh, the DNG with the raw file because you can tweak it. But but when I see the final JPEG, that final JPEG should be close to what you get out of a modern flagship phone. Like it should be you know not perfect, but it should be yeah. like usable. You should be able to post it right away without having to go into Google Photos and spend fifteen yeah. minutes racking your brain as to which slider should I move in which way? Because even though you're like me and you're yeah. experienced and you know how to develop a photo in in, in Snapseed, you, you're still like with a Nokia 9. I really don't know where to start half the time. I'm like, oh, I try this and it doesn't work. And then it's like, it's, it's a nightmare. Like with most phones, yeah, with most phones, let's say uh, an iPhone or a Galaxy S9 or P30 Pro, all the Pixel, all the usual contenders, you, what you get as a JPEG saved by their clever software, camera software is usually pretty darn good. And usually for all of those aforementioned phones, if you do save as RAW, which I often do to and try, you then take it across to your Mac or whatever and you fiddle around with it. And as you said, there's a bazillion sliders and you usually make a mess of it. And very, very, very rarely would you get something that's better than what their intelligent software did on the phone to produce a, a better JPEG. With the Nokia 9, they've made they forced you to go through the raw because they haven't got a clue. They haven't got a country clue how to produce a decent JPEG from a what is after all a potentially useful raw image. So it just comes down to software again. Yeah, I have managed to rescue some of my Nokia 9 photos by editing the raw in Snapseed and getting like results that I was like, wow, this is I can see the potential here. This is wow, this is solid. But even on half of those DNGs, I don't get the wow factor at all. It's it's a disaster even coming out of the draw. And and I'm like, how 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 why? Like why not, you know, why didn't they skip a generation and give us a Nokia 9 next year? Like in 2020 with a Snapdragon 865, whatever it is out at that point in time, uh, that would also improve that image processing speed, which is dismal right now. Yeah. Uh, and I understand that because the way they're doing it, they're relying on partially the ISP, but also heavily on the CPU 
and the the actual SOC, uh, non non ISP side of it, DSP and CPU and GPU probably to do some computational combination, and it's okay. That that needs to happen. I get it. I'm on board for that. But I, you can literally see it. With, you know, if you take a photo right away and you go in the the gallery to look at it, it takes five to ten seconds for it to finish processing. Yeah, and yeah. that's okay, but it's at least you can continue shooting, but uh, it's still slow at showing you the end result. So you don't really know, should I take that photo again for 10 seconds, right? Yeah, yeah. one one final rant on this, and I think we should move on before we take over the podcast. <laughs> before but the one Nokia final... HMD people come to our door and steal us away in a white van? Yes. Well, talking of Nokia and HMD people, that was my final rant, is that when this first came out, I got into a bit of a, 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 a conversation, shall we say, with the Nokia 9 product manager on, on Twitter. And it went on for several weeks, and they kept saying, that your initial findings, which were sent to me, from an American uh, uh, Nokia 9 owner. They said, those findings are unrepresentative. We fixed that. That's fine. I said, well, I kept challenging, challenging him. Send me a phone. I am Mr. PureView. Look at all these URLs. This, I've been testing PureView stuff and camera phones for decades, literally, almost literally decades now. Send mm -hmm. me a phone. Lend me a phone. I want to test it. I want this to do well. Send me a phone. I kept hammering at home. They absolutely point blank refused to send me a sample. And I can only think that that's because they knew it had major issues. They knew I'd come up with the conclusions I eventually did come up with and which you came up with and which virtually every other reviewer came up with. And I mean, that's the yeah. reason it took me until two weeks ago to get a unit. They just wouldn't send me one. And I kept emailing them once a week saying, I want my phone, 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 I want my phone. You know, I'm covering my ears. I want my phone, I want my phone. And finally it arrived. And this is not personal to the PR folks at HMD in the US. Ben is wonderful. I like working with Ben. He's always there for me. And I could tell that he was struggling because I think he, they, he because he kept asking them, I believed he didn't have any and he kept asking them for devices for me. And they just wouldn't give him one because they knew it was going to me. I think they knew it was going to me. Like you. Same thing. Yeah. Yeah. You know? And look, I'm, I'm sorry. Like, I, I was biased going into it from reading other reviews. But I honestly, to me, it's worse than it, it feels worse now than when I didn't have it. Like, because I, I thought it would feel better than when I didn't have it. I thought that, you know, a lot of the reviewers out there, they're mainstream reviewers. They don't, they're not imaging reviewers. And, and I figured they didn't get it, right? They didn't, like, it's, it's like reviewing the P30 Pro. A lot of people are saying, yeah, well, you know, I still would prefer a Pixel 3 because it's faster and takes consistently good photos. And, you know, the P30 Pro is pretty consistent and fast too. But they forget all the creativity aspects of what you can do with a P30 Pro. And, and based on that, of course, the Nokia 9 will get knocked by some reviewers, you know? And that's what I thought it was. I thought there were some flaws there that were problematic, but I had no idea how bad it was and i understand now why they didn't want to send me one because when they hear this podcast they're going to be told you yeah yeah <sighs> yeah I, I think we should move on <laughs> what, what else should we talk about? what what do you think is going to be okay let's talk about the galaxies a little bit and the iphones a little bit i don't have yeah. the uh, the 10s and 10s max i have a 10 that i bought years ago when it came out because i felt it was a significant step forward for for, I, for Apple, and obviously none of the new stuff works on the 10. Uh, so I don't really, I don't have a point of, I don't know what an iPhone 10s and 10R take, how they take their photos uh, comparatively to the phones that I handle every day. So have you played with them? Do you have any point of reference? I have, of course, reviewed the iPhone XS, XS Max uh, when they came out. And of course, because they're so expensive over here, especially, I mean, I, I have to return them. I have to basically I have to buy them, review them the heck out of them for two or three yeah. weeks and then return them. That is the only way Apple PR refused to talk to me. Absolutely point blank. Well, oh, it's the same with me. And that's why I don't review them anymore, because I'm like, screw you. Forget it. There's lots of reviews out there of the iPhone. I'm no longer want to even bother buying it and then having to worry about restocking fees and whatever else. Yeah, yeah, but the iPhone XS, XS Max camera is really very good indeed. And in my tests against my usual benchmarks, it it was slightly behind the classics like the Lumina 50, but it jumped ahead because it had the optical zoom, which it, which works really, really well and seamlessly. Ditto on the Galaxy S9, S9 Plus and Note 9. I've got the S9 Pluses. The Galaxy S9 Plus has now been my main smartphone on and off for is it 13, 14 months, which is insane wow, for a phone yeah. reviewer. And it's just, it's just the phone that does absolutely everything. And the camera isn't the absolute best in good. the world, but it's darn good. And it's also very reliable, a bit like the Pixel. You can point the S9 Plus, the Stroke you know, Note 9 camera at almost anything, and you'll get a very good photograph. It's slightly sharpened. There are a few too many artifacts, but it's darn usable. 
Um, and I've got the P30 Pro and the Pixel 3 XL for playing with Android Q and imaging flexibility. So I'm kind of cheating, as you are, by having three or four phones on the go. But you, <laughs> you can't really say anything bad about the iPhone XS cameras or the Galaxy S series and S10 cameras. Have you um, played with the actual S10 or S10e or S10 Plus? Yeah, I reviewed I reviewed yeah. all three in various How various do you find times. that compared to the S9? The camera, I was... I thought the results were actually worse in some ways. I thought they the, the, the camera modules, I think, are slightly thinner. And as a result, there are there is more software work done in software um, to see. try and sharpen stuff. So I don't know whether that jibes in what, you, what you've got. But if I found the results I got on the S10, in some aspects, I had more artifacts and more artificialness, if I may put it that way, than mm-hmm. the S9 range. I think for me, my seat time with the S9 and the S10 has been two, three months each. And the S9, I haven't put them side by side to compare them. The S9, I've, I have one in a drawer somewhere. I haven't fired, fired it up in probably like six months. So I don't know um, how they compare, but I'm very happy with the S10. I've on, the only phone I have yeah. is the S10 Plus, and I'm very happy with the results and the flexibility of the three lenses and all that good stuff. And yeah, I mean, I have no complaints. It, you know, the thing about the Galaxy S series as phones today and, and expanding things back to not just the imaging, but looking at the whole... You, these are phones you cannot go wrong with. Uh, yeah, they yeah. are expensive, but honestly, everything is solid on the Galaxies today, especially yeah. those that have the headphone jack still. And and they do until the Note 10 and the <laughs> Fold, but the Fold doesn't count because the Fold doesn't exist. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, so I think, I think if you have the money and you're not, you just want to match with a a button and get a good photo, but you also want some of that versatility and flexibility of having a manual control and multiple lenses. I think the S10 is the best of all worlds. Yeah, yeah, you cannot go wrong, as you say. As you are paying double the money than you would for some better value handsets getting a Galaxy S series, but that everything's there in terms of the hardware, in terms of expandability and the micro SD, etc., etc., and the headphone right. jack, which is still there, and the Wireless speed charging. Yeah, stereo speaker, ev- absolutely everything, waterproofing, absolutely everything is there, so you're going for the full package. And the reason I'm stuck with the S9 Plus, by the way, just as a tangent, rather than going for the S10 Plus, is that I still prefer capacitive fingerprint scanner. On, on The back is natural for me, right. and the capacitive yeah. is one, it, is, it works 999 times out of 1,000, whereas the ultrasonic on the S10 rate range worked for me nine times out of 10. But that's a yeah. huge difference. That's, you know... So that still sounds pretty good nine times out of ten, but it still means that one time every two or three hours it won't work, and that will frustrate the heck out of you. The S10e with its capacitive sensor on the power button was really, really nice, and that's why I think in one of my phone shows I actually picked the S10e as my pick of the three S10s. I honestly think that if you're going to buy an S10, buy the S10e. Yeah, and it's cheaper. Absolutely. It's the best of the three. And it's the same with the iPhones. Buy the XR, in my opinion, because it's better at portrait and low light. And that's really more important to me than tele lens. Yeah. So because it uses happy. the main yeah. lens for portrait, it doesn't use the tele for portrait. So boom. Yeah. Yeah. There was a phone recently that uh, was it the S10? One of the phones uh, they did portrait wrong using the wrong two lenses, and they fixed it in a software update. Am I am I going mad here? Mm, I haven't heard this, but I believe you, Steve. You're yeah. you're the guru. Yeah. If you remember something, it's got to <laughs> be something. Unfortunately, late fifties. I remember that. Forget the name of the actual phone, which doesn't, <laughs> doesn't help much. <laughs> So, because we're pre-recording this in late July, and it's really going to be published in late August, and I'm sorry, folks, I can't do better than this. Um, we don't know too much about the Note 10 camera, other than all the rumors. I will be, uh, by the time you listen to this, I will have had been to the event and know everything about the Note 10 and even have one in my hands, probably. But the, there are speculations, and, and actually, I want to I hear your take on this, because this, this yeah. dual aperture stuff... Right? That's really interesting. Uh, and now we're talking about potentially a triple aperture. And and I want to go back to that Nokia N86. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That Let's had a double aperture <laughs> lens, right? Yeah, 2009. That's, that's let's talk about ten, that. So, 10 years ago, yeah. Yeah, so let's talk about the fact that computational photography, like we see in the Nokia 9, it's a little flawed there, but it could, it could be good. It's not because computational photography is bad, since the Pixel 3 and the, the P30 do it as well, and they do it very well. Um, what is your take on physical hardware and how it's evolved? Um, you know, it, I'm amazed to me that the, the Z, the Z depth, the depth, the thickness of phones is so small now. And yet we've managed to get incredibly good imaging out of our phones. That's one thing that I think is radically different than it was 10 years ago. But the other thing is OIS being on almost everything. 
The other yeah. thing is is much faster autofocus, um, multi ways of autofocusing. You know, face detect, contrast, laser, dual pixel, yeah. and combination and combination and depth sensors like actual time of flight sensors in combination of all that. And then of course we're seeing the multi aperture on on Samsung, but that's again rehashing something that existed before. Yes, I mean, variable aperture, is, it's always slightly confused me. The principle, obviously, is that if you're shooting a photograph in sunlight, you don't need a crazy fast large aperture because you've got plenty of light coming in. So you can get better depth of field, i.e. larger depth of field, and more stuff can be in focus by stopping the lens down. And the idea on the S9 and the S9 Plus and Note 9 was that you have to gain two apertures and it switches between the two according to the light levels. This uh, rumor about the Note 10 says a three-stage variable aperture, so I'm assuming one stop in between the two existing stops on the S9 and S10. I, I'm not convinced people will actually see the results of that, but hey, it's one more thing to put on the bullet points. And yes, in theory, the software's got, uh, can optimize everything around the light level slightly better, but it, it's just a nice thing, nice to have, I think. I think it's cool because when I tested an S9, when the feature first became available, because the S10 also has the dual, dual aperture, yeah, but yeah. the S9 had it first, and when I had an S9 Plus and I tested it, and what I found really great, Steve, is I could go into manual mode and select which aperture I wanted, and basically in good light, I could select my depth of field. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. And yeah. so with three settings now, you have three depths of fields. And here's the here's the trick on a Galaxy S9 or S10. If you're taking photos like portraits of people in uh, in in good light, like outdoors on a sunny day or even a slightly overcast day outdoors, where there's good lot lot of nice ambient light, you I would recommend instead of using the the portrait mode or the whatever it's called, um, they have a different name for it. Live focus. But, yeah. Um, instead of doing that mode. Go into manual control and set the aperture to f over one point, whatever. One point five is the fast 5. one. Yeah, yeah. And you'll get incredible natural bouquet taking portraits with the S nine and the S ten. They look so good. They look way better than the portrait mode. I highly recommend you try that. Leave everything else on auto. Just manually change the aperture to one point five because that's not going to be the default in good light uh, if you shoot in auto mode. And do a portrait, and you will thank me. It is gorgeous. So that's my tip of the day. I think that's a, a great tip if your subject is about a metre away, I think I'd say. If, yeah. your subject, if your subject's about two metres away, which is quite a common demonstration of the portrait and live focus effect, then you, you will need software help. Yeah, just going down to 1.5 aperture won't actually produce enough bokeh, enough shallow Correct. depth of field. But yeah, for about, someone about a metre away, absolutely try doing it optically rather than software. Like a tight crop on somebody's face is what I'm thinking here. You know? Yeah, okay. Yeah, like yeah. Not even the bust, just like the neck and the, and it's just amazing. Like you just really, you not, not have any of those weird aberrations and things you have to worry about that the computational stuff might miss. And just, it just looks so much more natural. So, you know, again, this is a combination of two things. The fact that you can manually set the aperture, but the fact that the fastest aperture is also a very shallow depth of field for 1.5. If you, you know, uh, it'd be cool if they went down to 1.2, I think. Uh, you know, I would love to see that, but uh, we'll see. I mean, look, I'm looking forward to the Note 10 and what it brings to the table. If I don't think it's going to revolutionize anything. I just hope they make a better tele-sensor because the tele-sensor on the S9 and the well, S9 Plus and the S10 and 10 Plus, not the 10e because it's got the ultra-wide, um, are a little crappy, those sensors. You know, they're a little deficient. Uh, to, this is a sensor that's really old. I think they've they used a sensor that they've been around yeah, since, yeah. was it the Note 8, I think? Yeah, yeah. But don't forget, these are, as you said, qu still quite thin camera units and telephoto above all lens types. The f laws of physics dictate that unless you go to a periscope system like on the P30 Pro, you are really quite limited in, in how large that sensor can be and how good it can be. I, th I think the future probably is periscope uh, zoom, and I'd love to see a periscope variable zoom. I think we saw a phone that did that about two or three years it ago. Was and it the, it was yeah. the Zenfone zoom. Yeah, yeah. And I'd, I'd love to see that concept refined with better optics better sensor better isp better software and and that that could be the uh, the, the the be all and end all it could be the, the the prize imaging phone in theory have you have you ever explored how they're doing the ois on the on the p30 pro um periscope uh fixed distance periscope zoom it's amazing they're yeah. not actually moving the lens or the sensor they're moving the mirrors inside 
Absolutely. Yeah, they they jiggle the prism around. <laughs> yeah, the prism. That's right. It's like, wow, I love it. Yeah, it's so, so high tech. Yeah. Um, so where do you think we're going from here? I mean, obviously, computational photography has a long way to go. Um, you know, we're seeing additional optical features like triple triple aperture on the Note 10, which hopefully is true. We don't know. That's still a rumor at the time we're recording this. Um, but do you, do you, what's, what would you like to see? What do you think is missing? What could be done both in terms of like computationally and optically that you think would add more option and creativity to us and that you th and you who do you think is going to do that first i think huawei is probably going to get there first wherever we go because of uh, mr salmalin and, and some of his heritage and also the huawei's imaging budget which seems to be almost infinite and which is producing good results but every time i come on this show and Leica, their partnership yeah, with Leica, yeah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely for the optics but once a year i come on and every year i say let's add another another camera and you say steve it'll happen and it happens so so I guess the logical progression is that uh, I think we will see phones with four cameras, whether one's a time of flight, whether one might the fourth camera might be an extra monochrome lens. But th th there, there will be so much imaging horsepower and such sophisticated software that, that you know, weird transitions, white balance differences, everything will be smoothed out in a beautifully simple camera UI. And you don't have to think about it. You just frame what you want, any light conditions, any subject and the software and the lenses to take over. Uh, if you if one of those lenses could have a, per, a prism and a periscope zoom as well, that's even better. I keep saying and I keep thinking we've plateaued in terms of smartphone imaging. I've been saying that since 2006, which is rather sad. So I've been wrong 13 times. But, <laughs> but every single year, they, they, the companies managed to pull something out. And if you look at the specifications of some of the imaging units, um, back in the day, we'd, we'd list uh, phone specifications and under imaging would say five megapixel camera. That would be it. You now have to allocate half a page of A4 for the breakdown of all the different specifications and bullet points for each camera lens for multiple lenses. So we've come such a long way. And I, I just I think, I think I'm privileged and you are as well to, to live in such an exciting era for phone imaging. Uh, absolutely. For me, I think what I want to see is let's throw more processing power and oomph at this stuff. I really hope that uh, Google um, does the multi-lens thing right and bring some innovation alongside it. I hope that um, Apple surprises us with something that uh, in, in maybe not the iPhone 11, but the next one that, uh, you know, ups the game again. I mean, they, they were the first to do portrait really well. And I think their portrait lighting, even though I don't use it, I think is very cool. Um, yeah. I'm not a super huge fan because I don't really take portraits that much, but I, I, I've seen the results and I have to say, wow, you know, um, but there's so much more we can do when you look at that pure view, uh, the Nokia nine, the multi-lens stuff. Um, we using parallax and whatever refocus after refocusing after the fact, uh, different angles, you know, multi-angle uh, from th of the same shot, things like that. I want to see more partial combination of uh, imaging between lenses. So I want a phone that when I take a photo, all th all three, all four, whatever lenses fire at the same time, it stores all that data, gives that access to you to each photo. Um, and also gives you, if you want to, like maybe it's a setting somewhere, and if and it combines things in an intelligent way, lets you recrop and reframe after the fact. You know what I'm saying? Stuff like that would really be great. Yeah, and I think and we'll get and there. storage is cheap. And storage is really cheap now for phones. You've got phones shipping with two, five, six gigabytes routinely, and and if they have a micro SD as well, then that's adding another half a terabyte. So you really don't have to worry about whether one image actually takes five meg megabytes or 10 and megabytes or even 20. Yeah. And what is that new file format that can store multiple photos at different angles? Um, it's already implemented on the iPhones and on seeing the Google phones or what's it called? So it's an H. H-E-V-C? H-E-V-C. I don't know. That's the, like video. That. That's the video. It's the imaging equivalent of that, I think. The yeah. equivalent of, yeah. And so, you know, I, I know this is going to be, you know, a transition for some people because we're so used to JPEGs and DNGs, but I think that uh, there's a lot of value there because you can store, you know, like a payload, like you can show a burst of shots into a one thing and transfer it to someone as one item yeah. and yeah. have them play around in, with their software, editing software with it. So there's a lot of potential still. Um, I also think you know what Huawei's doing like physically with low light with the RYYB I wouldn't be surprised if we see more RYYB from other companies coming um, especially from Sony is that 
who makes that sensor for Huawei anyway? Is that a bespoke sensor that Sony manufactures for them? I think it might even be in-house. Uh, wow. I, haven't seen, I haven't seen any other companies use it at all, period. Yeah, it is definitely the only two phones of the P30 Pro and the P30 right now. Yeah. Um, and of course, who knows what the Mate 30 is going to bring to the table. Um, it's generally more of a mainstream phone, less imaging focused, but it does bring a lot of that goodness. Um, I will make a request from one of the manufacturers. I want four lenses, but I want that fourth to be a monochrome. So I want monochrome, yeah, yeah, yeah. regular, um, color regular, but pixel bend high, high resolution. And I want tele and ultra wide, uh, kind of like the best of the P20 Pro and the P30 Pro in one device. And if you think about it, on a four camera device, let's think of it in terms of the classic two by two grid on back of one of the Huawei Mate series, for example. Um, all the, those four cameras, they are separated by a centimeter or so. There is some parallax, there is some difference of view, and yet the software makes it utterly seamless and it instantaneously wipes away. It can combine, in theory, can combine photographs and does in some cases with no problems at all, no, no issues to do with that parallax. And yet the Nokia 9 had so much more potential and it takes 15 seconds to get almost nothing out of it so there is potential that with enough horsepower all of these phones can use four lenses even five lenses and sort out parallax and combine data from multiple images seamlessly we just haven't quite got there yet but it's coming it's coming for sure i i don't want to say that also if somebody from nokia or hmd or one of you know <laughs> partners are listening right Le, uh, uh, Le zeiss right is listening to this show that we're being harsh because we want, we know you can do better and we want to see more. Please yeah. don't take this as a, let's abandon this idea completely. We, we think you should pursue this further, but maybe, you know, hire me and Steve as consultants to go out there and give you the, the lowdown and the reality check on whether these products are consumer ready and whether you are actually delivering something that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, that's what I do professionally. I'm a consultant. People hire me to do this kind of stuff. So I think you should make a Nokia 10 or whatever pure view next year with uh, 2020, with uh, like the latest Snapdragon you can get your hands on at the time and the latest imaging software you can put in there. But please make it, yeah. make it worth it. Make it worth a while, you know? Yeah. Um, because I think, right be now, nine, I think there'll be a 9.1 and they're going to release it in two months' time and then the very first two units off the production line will come to you and me. That would be the ideal scenario. <laughs> okay, you heard it here first. I like your thinking, Steve. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so I'm trying to think if we've kind of covered everything else. Is there any outlier phones we haven't covered that you feel deserve a sort of mention? Well, there was the Oppo Reno, which I haven't had hands on. I've been neither they, have they, I. They, they keep promising a review unit, and it keeps failing to arrive. But I'm Me really too. looking forward to trying that out. It's very, uh, very typical of Oppo PR. Our good friend Alex has a hard time delivering our review units, but we love <laughs> him anyway. I know the intentions there. Um, I've, from everything I've talked to with people who have tried the Reno 10X Zoom. Yeah. It's a little below the P30 Pro ultimately in execution. Um, but that doesn't mean it's bad. And that doesn't mean that it shouldn't, you know, they shouldn't continue uh, refining the idea. So again, they're the only other one with a periscope lens right now, other than the P30 Pro from Huawei. Uh, and, you know, good news. I mean, this is, this is good to see another company develop their own. Um, I have a Sony Xperia 1 that I just received. Uh, and... You know, I wish I could tell you more about the imaging experience, but I still have to set it up. So uh, stay tuned for that. Obviously, this is the first Sony phone with OIS on their own sensor, uh, which, as you know, they've refused <laughs> to put OIS on any of their own phones prior to this for whatever reason, never understood. But there it is. Finally, we have an Xperia phone with OIS. Well, yeah. Given the track record of Sony over the last five years, though, I'm not holding my breath for stellar results. But I have see. not. Yeah, I've heard mixed results, and I will let you know once I actually try it out and use it uh, a little bit. Uh, so stay tuned for a show about that. That might actually maybe air before you even hear this show. Um, but hey, you know, that's the nature of the beast. But anyway, look, I think we've covered imaging for 2019 at least from summer 2018 to 2019 quite well <laughs> and i i want i think we should wrap it up i i want you to tell the the audience where they can find you on the internet your social media handles you you where you contribute i know you write for some android sites as well right 
Yeah, AndroidBeat.com. I've been doing reviews for them for quite a while. I don't get to review every device because uh, it's based in Asia. And so some devices appear in Asia first rather than the UK. And the UK does tend to feel feel like a bit of a second class citizen to America and other markets these days, which is a bit frustrating. But uh, yeah, AndroidBeat.com. And of course, I write for all about WindowsPhone.com, at least for the rest of 2019. Of course, Microsoft finishes its support for the OS at the end of this year, so who knows what will happen in 2020. And of course, stevelitchfield.com. Don't forget the T in Litchfield for everything else I do. There you go, folks. You've heard it here. Not first, because (laughs) everybody knows Steve. Come on, everybody knows Steve. But I highly recommend you follow Steve on Twitter and, uh, you know, read, read his stuff. It's very, very objective. That's the one thing that Steve really digs in there. Much more scientific than me. I just start ranting and raving and <laughs> you know like moving my arms in the air and it you know but but i think it's entertaining so hopefully you tune into that too and if you want to tune into what i have to say it's at tankerl on twitter and instagram that's t-n-k-g-r-l like tankerl the comic book but without the vowels t-n-k-g-r-l uh twitter is a good place for you to comment on this podcast and tell me what you think uh and discuss things with me and in a public forum. Um, Instagram is a great place to uh, to go ogle some beautiful photos taken with phones and with uh, photos of phones. I like to, to show you the devices as well. Finally, there's a, a YouTube channel that you should subscribe to that is kind of a compliment to the show. YouTube.com slash Miriam My full name spelled out, no space. If you don't know how to spell my name, just go to my Twitter. You'll see my name there. Remove the space. Add that to YouTube.com URL. And you're good to go. The channel has uh, a lot of unboxing, some hands-on, some uh, some reviews, uh, sometimes interviews. I try to give you some content visually that goes with this audio content that is the podcast. So, you know, subscribe to the channel, like the videos, uh, all that other stuff. Um, I have a partnership with GearBest for good deals on phones. So if you're looking to buy a phone, you know, go to the video descriptions. You'll find some links to some currently good deals on phones curated by yours truly. Um, and, uh, I want to say if you stumbled upon the podcast by accident, mobiletechpodcast.com is the URL. The RSS feed lives there. You can also find me on all the platforms, Google, Apple, Pocket Cast, Overcast, uh, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, everywhere. Uh, so please subscribe if you enjoyed it. Tell your friends about it and etc etc um also want to thank our sponsor we have a long time sponsor on this show and it's audible.com they really uh, are a wonderful platform if you like audiobooks if you like books anyway in general and for some reason you can't read them you're maybe driving a car all day as a delivery driver and you want to listen to more than podcasts well audible.com's got you covered you got entire books to listen to uh it's a subscription-based service uh you can it works with kindle and all of these other um devices phones computers etc etc it's pretty awesome because a lot of the books are read by the authors which i think is a really great experience um and so if you go in the show notes for the podcast there is a deal if you do not already have audible and you want to support the podcast please click through that link and support the podcast by considering joining audible and if you don't join audible you still get a month free and you get to keep one of the books at the end um the url for that is audibletrial.com slash mobile tech that's audibletrial.com slash mobile text also in the show notes please consider um subscribing to audible to support the podcast we appreciate it and before we go i want to thank steve litchfield for being on the show again thanks so much steve it was a pleasure yeah, I loved being on. I always love chatting to you. And I, I've, I've been bumping into you and uh, interacting with you now for something like one and a half decades. And it seems like we could go on for another 10. I hope we do. And that's it, folks. I'll be back next week for another show. And uh, until then, cheers, everybody. Bye. This has been the Mobile Tech Podcast with Tank Girl, proudly presented by worldpodcasts.com. You can visit us online at mobiletechpodcast.com.